I need to know everything Who and the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But act like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George I hop in the Porsche There's five and a horse I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws To turn to a ghost I need to know everything Now you'll be surprised At the info you get Is by letting them talk Hey everyone I'm Ashley Asty, And I'm curious Aren't you? I'm Curious Podcast Brings the unfamiliar closer I'm telling stories and sharing conversations with people who remind us that love demands we move toward justice and that we're all connected. This opening music is called Curious George by Nate Rose. All right, let's get to it. I'm ready for smoke. I need to know everything. Who and the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche, there's five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now, they ain't go harder than me. I'm so grateful to welcome back Kara Martinez, the founder of Love Without Borders for Refugees in Need. Kara was on the show about a year ago in early 2021. Kara has been volunteering with refugees in camps in Greece since about 2015. One of the things that her organization does, among many, is that they provide art workshops for children or adults, anyone in the camps. And Kara is the first to say she's not an art therapist, but she's seen the healing power of art. And after so many of these artists create through these workshops, she takes their art and brings them to exhibitions in the United States and Canada and, and beyond and sells them there. And she takes that money and gives it back to the artist. Love Without Borders for Refugees in Need is involved in so many efforts to empower and support those who find themselves displaced due to war or other unfortunate life circumstances. In this conversation, like I said, it's been about a year since Kara and I first talked on this podcast. We explore what it's been like this past year, how COVID has impacted her work and life in the refugee camps. We talk about her sense of purpose, her sacrifices, and the interconnectedness of all of us. I feel like Kara is just one of those special guests who has wisdom and just delivers her message with this clarity and calmness that I'm drawn to. She's a treasure, so I hope you enjoy. I'm so grateful to have you back, Kara. As we were just talking beforehand, it sounds like you've had quite a full and busy year, and I know you're jetting off somewhere, I think, tomorrow again. Um, So I'm really appreciative that you're offering your time and sharing what you're up to. Thank you so much. It's good to be back and uh, spend a little time with you again. It's good to see you and I appreciate your time as well. Oh, thank you. So for just in case someone missed our first conversation together, I just want to recap for a moment. Can you explain um, what Love Without Borders for Refugees is and, and how you got started in that? Sure, absolutely. Love Without Borders is a nonprofit registered 501c3 in the United States. However, all of our work is done in Greece. Uh, We are two people on the ground in Greece doing uh, what we can to support literally thousands of people. I've been volunteering since 2015 in different parts of Europe, uh, but mostly in Greece for refugees and displaced people in and around 
the islands and the mainland. And before this, you didn't really have any experience working with refugees. This was sort of something, I guess, unexpected along your trajectory in life. Serendipity at its finest. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I just simply went to, in 2015, uh, we had approximately 1.2 million people uh, arriving in Germany, if you can imagine that uh, amount of people coming to Germany. And I was based in Frankfurt, Germany at the time as a flight attendant for United. And so I didn't have any connection to these, this influx of people. I didn't speak their language, but I felt as a human being, we're all connected. And mm. I felt there must be something that I can do. I have a lot of free time. Let me go see how I can help. And that's how it all started. Mm, I think we'll probably have to dive into that more later about that feeling of connection. But I, I want to actually go to something you'd written on Instagram, I think relatively recently. Um, and you said, my dream is for every child that is being displaced due to war to have the opportunity to express themselves through art. The most powerful platform on the earth to give voices to the voiceless, to create awareness and empowerment. Let there be art. Let there be peace, you said. Wow, I got the goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, right? I, I was thinking, I'm like, wow, that was like um, very powerful and moving and almost like tapped into something deeper and wise. Tell me more about that, what you feel about the connection between peace and art. So one of my first projects in the refugee camp that I was working in in 2016 was, a, was an art project. And it, it started very simple with me bringing in paper and crayons because I just came from the idea and the notion that the children are living in a refugee camp. There's no formal education. I want them to be able to just live their childhood, just to have a little bit of fun. So with everything I do, I try to keep it very simple. And once I brought the paper and crayons into the refugee camp and I saw what they were drawing and how happy it made them. And I had this wonderful energy in within amongst our little community, I couldn't believe how powerful art was. And mm. ever since that day, I don't think we've had very much time that we don't paint together, whether it's in a big group or one individual um, workshops. And the, the power of art is just so, uh, it's so moving and so powerful how the art has changed the lives of thousands of children that, that we've been able to work with. So we're fortunate that we found it. Yeah, I love that you stumbled into that and almost the power of that simplicity that it doesn't have to be this complex thing. You were bringing in crayons at first, but you just had the energy and the thought to do it. One of the things in our last conversation, you had said to me that sometimes when children would first, you'd give them the crayons or whatever art supplies and they'd start creating, you'd see them depicting some of the trauma from their passage maybe to Greece or flipped upside down boats or things like that. What have you, and I, well, I, should, I should preface this because I, I don't think art therapy was part of your background, um, but what have you learned about the connection between art and trauma or art as expression, art as healing? So I consider these art workshops because I'm not an art therapist. I will be very clear about that. However, uh, I have seen so much healing in the children that I'm helping. They came to me in the beginning and some of them couldn't even speak. They were sad. They were 
they see through the eyes of their parents. Mm. And the parents are highly stressed about their asylum cases, that they're living in a, in a tent in the middle of nowhere, that they don't even have enough food to eat. So these children are getting this trauma and feeling it firsthand. So for us to be able to take them away from this environment and create this beautiful atmosphere where they're allowed to paint and express themselves and to have fun and to see their art uh, on the walls in America at these big exhibitions, mm -hmm. it does something you can't even imagine. It, it, it gives them, it empowers them, it gives them confidence and it gives them worth. Mm. And it's a really beautiful project. And it's also for the people in America and Canada. We were recently in Canada. It's bringing awareness about our project and about the people that are displaced in Greece all the way over to these different countries. So it's a very powerful to create something like this and connect people from different backgrounds and different parts of the world. Because when you're talking about people in the United States or in Canada, you're having art exhibitions of the art that's created by these refugees. Is that correct? That's correct. Usually the project, the art workshops have about 10 to 15 children. We take them out of the refugee camp or they come to us from housing communities because we're housing almost 10 people, 10 families right now in Greece. And we take children from ages, well, we've usually around five to, five to 17 years old. And we bring them together. And it's really wonderful because they're coming from all different backgrounds from Syria, Afghanistan, mm -hmm. Yemen, Iraq, and Congo and Cameroon. So it's important for us to, to show the children from their early years on that it's important to create this env environment and community with people from all different backgrounds and to mm. be accepting and to love one another and to be able to paint together, have lunch together, have fun together. And so that's what we really like to do. And then those paintings then fly with me when I come back to my second job as a mm -hmm. flight attendant. And I have been very fortunate to be invited by all sorts of different communities around the world from churches to temples to universities and schools around um, I think I've gone to four different continents yeah. and I speak at these events and we have a lovely exhibition with about 40 to 50 pieces of art and all of their stories so mm. and it sounds like you're able to tell some of these people that their art's going to be exhibited I I had a few years ago published a book that featured voices of people who were in prison and I remember one of the things that surprised me after the book was published that so many people who were in the book whose voices were in the book people who were incarcerated said to me they're like wow like to see their name published to have like that felt like an accomplishment after so many years of feeling like they were stagnant in life given their their circumstances and I feel like do you find that too like whether it's children or adults who realize that their art is being displayed or being purchased that it gives this sense of new life and I think you used the word worth before Yes, what we don't realize that is that the people in the refugee camps, their voices have been taken away. Their mm -hmm. decisions for everything have been taken away. They're made to stand in line to get food that perhaps they don't even like or that they can't eat. Um, and so what we do is when we have these workshops, 
I love to tell the children, any brush you want, take two or three, any mm. color you want to use, feel, feel free to mix them together to create what you want. So by giving them the choices, even for the painting, it's, it, it's very powerful and mm. it's uh, wonderful um, for me to, uh, to be able to facilitate these workshops and give those choices to people that don't have any choice and that don't have any voices. Oh, I love that, like the sense of agency and creativity being brought back into their lives when it feels like perhaps it's been stripped from it. And I guess that's making me think a recent conversation I had on this podcast. I spoke to Jade Beal. She's a, a photographer. Um, she had gone to the refugee camps a few years ago, though, and, to, and she was taking pictures. And I remember looking at the photographs and being, and it's almost embarrassing to say, surprised that one, just the, the humanity, the families. And there was also joy though, there were smiling faces. And I wasn't sure if that was just happening for the cameras, but I guess all of life still needs to be lived even inside the camps. Do you find that there's still space for once in a while laughter or joy or just life to continue happening in a different way? The people are so resilient. And mm. I think that's one thing that I learned while working in the camp when I would go over to visit them and I st first started my projects, I went in there and they offered me chai, tea. Mm -hmm. We sat down and I just listened. I spent hours, literally a whole shift, uh, 18 hours a day. Okay. Two shifts, mm -hmm. um, just listening. And I think that was really the biggest tool that I learned during my time working in the humanitarian field is the way to help people is to listen. Sometimes mm. they don't need the answers. They want presence. They want people to be there to support them. And so uh, we were able to start different projects. I was teaching them how to make jewelry and we were doing the art with them. It brought a lot of joy uh, to be able to run these projects and to um, see also how, how much talent there is. People have uh, their, their bakers and their teachers and their um, lawyers and artists and mm. so it, it's really great to be able to talk with them about what they did in their in their countries and also to support them with tools so that they can create what they used to create and mm. that's really important uh, yeah I feel like when you're moved displaced in this way moved is not even the right word I feel like your sense of identity can shift when you're no longer able to do the work that you did or just live in the way that you did before. It, it changes things. And so that's so interesting that even just having those conversations around what you did or how you lived life before, who you are at your core can be affirming. And you used the word listening before. And I actually wanted to ask you about that because when you're coming to the camps for the first time and going back to you know 2015 or meeting new people, I feel like it's delicate perhaps to establish a sense of trust do you find that listening is a, is a tool to establish that trust yes so I really learned as I went and I I learned I always was reaching out to people to help me but after a certain amount of time I wasn't getting the help that I needed and I just went with my gut and I said first of all if this was me or this could be my mother or my father I don't want to ask them personal questions. I don't want to invade their privacy. And I just sat there and listened. Mm -hmm. And it was, yes, as I said, it was the, the best way that I could help them. And the way that I actually started to create and 
decide on what I was going to do with my projects in the future was based on those conversations. Mm. I guess let's talk a little bit about this past year, these past couple of years, how things have shifted. And I'm wondering, like with COVID <laughs> these past two years, how has that impacted life in the camps? So unfortunately, because there are so many more restrictions because of COVID and because of the ministry not allowing our organizations to go work inside the camps, they are very isolated. Mm. I must get messages every single day from people reaching out. And it's not only in Greece. Um, there's somebody reached out to me yesterday from a camp in Africa and I'm literally just one person. So I can't, right. I can't, you know, um, be able to help everybody, but I just try to offer a lending, you know, an ear to somebody, but yeah, it's, it's very isolating in those camps. And I think that's the harsh reality that mm. won't go away. Did it diminish access to resources? Absolutely. Because we were working in many of the camps, um, not simultaneously, but we had projects in different camps at different times and we were doing mass distributions of hygiene products, mm. diapers, food items. And after we were cut and not allowed to go in the camps, those people don't get those items anymore. Mm. Um, I don't think that uh, there are those distributions like they used to happen. So unfortunately. And do you know if cases of the virus itself have spread through the camps or like if there's access to appropriate medical care, if someone does get COVID or I guess really anything that can happen while, you know, in life. I think it's really dependent on the refugee camp. They all okay. have different NGOs that are nonprofits that are based in each different camp. And I think that they're trying very hard to educate the people. I've even seen some wonderful groups started by refugees that have created these little projects inside the camps to teach the children and the people about washing their hands and about the different elements of the COVID. And they make signs in Arabic and Farsi and other languages. So, you know, they, they are very um, as resilient, as I said, and, and, and creating their own projects. So I think they're doing the best under the circumstances for sure. Mm. And you've been able to go back into the camps though. You personally, is that right? So the ones that we were working in before were not allowed unless the ministry okay. gives us a, a allowance. Um, we were doing art workshops and other things, but now there's one near Athens and we are doing a mass voucher, food voucher distribution, but we're bringing people outside of the camp that don't have, um, they don't have cash cards. They don't have a lot of support. Some of them aren't registered. So we're working with a wonderful organization, Human Aid Collective. They are based in Germany and they're um, supporting this project with us. We're working in collaboration together. Okay. Um, another thing that has happened over this past year that perhaps has affected some of these counts is the United States has pulled out of Afghanistan and a lot of people have left the country or tried to leave the country because of that. Have you heard from people who have fled Afghanistan in this past few months? 
Yes, I was very active during the summer trying to get people on lists and working on ways to keep people protected. It's very hard remotely. Mm. Uh, I always uh, was very for uh, forthcoming with the people to let them know I'm in America. I'm a very small organization. Yeah. <laughs> My best bet was just to connect them with different bigger organizations that were helping people get out of the country. Um, I have a wonderful uh, group of friends from STELP, also a German organization that are in Afghanistan now doing mass food distributions um, mm. this week. And I'm in touch with um, single women at risk, families at risk, uh, trying to le at least get them food. And it's, it's challenging. I will put it that way. It's challenging to get money into the country to get food for, for all of the people that need it. So what we're trying to do is just support a couple families at a time and one step at a time mm. uh, to help the people. But yes, I have a lot of contact with people in Afghanistan. The way you're describing this, and like you said, you're, you're one person, does it ever feel overwhelming to receive these messages and know that this is such a huge problem and there are so many people facing this and you're one person? Does that feel overwhelming sometimes? So I actually was really overwhelmed when I first started this work, but after working in a camp with 4,000 refugees and a thousand of them were children mm -hmm. that I looked over, uh, looked after every day of my life, like they were my own, yeah. I got to the point where I just, I could just do what I could do that day. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel overwhelmed anymore. I felt a very strong calmness that uh, overtook me and that mm, kind of made me feel like everything will be okay. You're doing what you can do today. Mm. And I feel sometimes that uh, sometimes when we get volunteers that come to Greece and they see the, the situation in the refugee camp, we introduce them to multiple families that we're helping. It's definitely overwhelming, but I try to explain to the people, to the children that I speak with, or to the volunteers that sometimes just helping one family, just helping one child, it's enough. Mm. And we need to start small and keep it simple. Yeah, I feel like we can otherwise get overwhelmed and therefore stuck and stuck in inaction. And that was one of the overwhelming feelings in a good way that I had from you the first time I spoke to you is that you were describing what's happening in the camps and all that you're doing. And yet there's this calmness and steadfastness about you um, that I imagine helps serve you in, in taking this one step at a time and not being overwhelmed by the greatness of the problem, but looking like at what you can do in the steps that you can do them watching this and seeing this, what people have had to go through, has it changed your sense of what fairness or justice is that like the different things that people have to burdens people have to carry in life? Yes, because I always believed in humanity. And unfortunately, I've seen so many injustices uh, around the world. And to see what the refugees have had to go through and how certain people have tried to take advantage of the situation. Uh, I see it every day. It mm -hmm. happens every single day. And I, it makes me very sad. Uh, however, now I'm a realist. 
Uh, mm -hmm. I was looking through these rosy colored glasses before, and now I'm a realist. And uh, also, I'm in contact every day with people that are um, teachers and lawyers in the States, in Canada, groups of young people trying to do something and trying to create a little bit of action and support. And so that sort of weighs uh, a little bit higher. And mm -hmm. I feel like I have to concentrate on those people and how we can collaborate together to make these positive changes because we're always waiting on the government to find peace. Mm -hmm. And we can see that they don't want peace because if they wanted it, mm. we would have seen that years and years ago. So we have to make a conscious decision every day that we're going to wake up, not rely on them. We have to rely on each other. We have to rely on the good of the world to bring forward projects and anything positive that we can find uh, for the people that are less fortunate than us. And I think that there's many ways people can help. Um, but as I said, uh, starting small is always good. It seems like you are awake to our connectedness or interconnectedness. And we sort of touched on this at the beginning. When you go to speak at these exhibitions for the art that you're doing to schools, to people across, uh, I guess, different continents even, is that something that you feel like needs to shift in order for change to keep happening, like this awareness that we're linked to each other? Absolutely, because that's one thing that I learned when I was with the people and when I started to meet the people, that it could be my family. So mm. you don't know what happens in this world, especially now with everything going on, climate change and COVID, we're, everybody's affected by it. And we have to realize that we're, we are all connected. So the work that we're doing, it's important we're all getting involved. It doesn't have to be to the extent that I'm doing or that you are doing, but everybody can be involved in their local community or in a community abroad. But it's important that we're all doing something to change. And I, I imagine that you getting proximate, getting close, being in the refugee camps and seeing it has made a difference. I Sometimes life is a collection of seeing things and unseeing what we don't want to see um, just because it's almost like we can't carry two things at once or we can't live in the way that we're living if we uh, continue to see the consequences of our actions. Do you find that getting up close? Or like you said, it doesn't even have to be going to a refugee camp. Someone doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm going to, because I imagine you've made a lot of sacrifices. I'm going to sacrifice so many things and, and fly across the world to a refugee camp. It could be, let's get involved in the local community, but it's about showing up and really being present wherever you want to serve. Do you find that? Yes, absolutely. I had um, some people in San Francisco that heard one of my talks uh, several years back. And um, not too long ago, I was so happy to speak with her because she never forgot that 10 or 15 minutes that I did my presentation. And now her daughter is a teenager and they're going to start a teen, uh, Love Without Borders Teenage Ambassador Program. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I said, can you imagine if we just had a teenage uh, ambassador program in each state, uh, how powerful that would be. Uh, and so, you know, the, not only the work in Greece that I'm doing is important, but bringing these stories back to America and to other countries about awareness, it's one of the key elements in our project that's so, mm -hmm. so important. And 
sometimes flying all the way to Canada for a 10 or 15 minute uh, talk about our project. It's so important to me. There's nothing I would rather do. Mm, that's, that's so exciting. I love about starting the ambassador program that, like you said, that would be so amazing to see that continue to grow. I'm also wondering if you could use this time now to share a little bit of what has shifted for you and for your work in the past year or so since we've spoken, like what has grown, what has changed, however you want to answer that question. Sure, it's been a really rocky time for us, actually, because we lost all of our funding, we were housing a lot of families. Um, slowly, we started to get people to sponsor some of our families, and that took a lot of pressure off of us. Um, and we also had some people step up to support our voucher distribution project. So we're really fortunate, relatively speaking, uh, to be able to still be operating under such critical times. And I know that everybody's gone through such a hard time. It's not, it's affected everybody. There's not one person, I think, on this planet that hasn't suffered a bit because of what has happened. So we're really fortunate that we're able to continue our project. And since the COVID has kind of laxed a little bit recently, we've had, I want to say, um, two or three online events and about two live events recently, or three actually, that have given us the opportunity to bring the stories back to Canada, Germany, and America. And I can't tell you how happy I was to see the art back on the walls after it being in suitcases and stowed away for a year and a half. Uh, it's, it's, it's really powerful and it really meant a lot to the artists in Greece and to, to our little organization that we can survive through this and that no matter what happens, a pandemic or storms or tornadoes will always come back and we'll always have our project and we're we're resilient and we're just happy that we have support to do this yeah a little organization but mighty absolutely mighty and and some of my favorite photos on your instagram are you traveling again and having a suitcase and opening it like full of the art inside uh, that's coming with you you mentioned that at some of these events you showcase the stories of the artists is there a story um, that in this moment you might want to share of someone? I know I'm sure there's so many. <laughs> it's hard to choose one person. I have uh, so many stories. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think one story that really uh, has always stayed with me was uh, giving, meeting a young man from Cameroon in a refugee camp in Chios, the island of Chios in Greece. And somebody recommended uh, his situation, his, his case to me. And we were able to go and meet him. We, we, uh, we sat down with him and invited him to lunch. And we gifted him a bag of canvases. So two canvases, a box of high quality acrylics and a few brushes. And within a week, he had painted um, the canvases. And he was living with uh, about five other men in a tent at the time. Mm. So he said he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to do it because he couldn't get clarity to paint. He couldn't get the piece to paint. Yeah. But he ended up managing it because it was in his uh, blood to paint. Mm -hmm. He loves to paint. 
And so we managed to find a, a volunteer that was flying back to San Francisco. This was before COVID. Mm. And we had the event. We managed to sell both of those paintings. Oh. <laughs> um, I think it was around 200 euros that we sent him. And I said, I have full confidence that we can do this every month with two paintings. And if you can find an apartment for that amount of money, we can move you out. Uh, and so you can have your own apartment. Mm. And we've been able to uh, support him in many different ways. And he's, he's on his own now. He's doing speaking engagements. He has his apartment in Athens now. And he's been able to even speak to some of um, some universities in the States about his story and uh, his success story, so mm. to speak. Ah, that's that chills feeling. And I guess we should point out again for people who might not have heard the previous episode that, like you mentioned in that story, the artists, you're paying them for their art, like you're supporting them through their art. This is not just like they paint for you and then you take the art, that it is really um, a collaboration and help helping to uh, empower them. Yes, absolutely. Our, our um, whole mission is giving 100% back to the people that we're supporting. Mm -hmm. So when we sell a piece of art, uh, the artist gets that, that money. Uh, we're in Greece because we're sitting with the people that are sitting in a refugee camp, living in a tent, or living in really um, very conditions where they can't support themselves, they can't empower themselves. And uh, we, we really uh, want to be able to um, turn the tables around. We don't want to be like a lot of other nonprofits. We want to be able to have um, overheads that aren't for our offices and for mm -hmm. our time and our work. We're doing everything on a volunteer basis. And uh, we want to be, uh, we want to stand out and we want more mm -hmm. people to, uh, to support this uh, sort of mentality so to speak mm. your your heart certainly stands out that from the first time we spoke I, I felt that from you and I'm wondering because you said this is on a volunteer basis can you talk about some of the sacrifices you personally had to make to to bring this to life well since I changed my life path and I work in the humanitarian field uh, I'm still working with United full-time. So I think that's the most challenging because mm -hmm. I am in Greece full-time flying and, and also with the events, it's almost like having three jobs. So I guess, you know, my friends and family could say that that's uh, one thing that I've given up is the time with them. Uh, I've been very fortunate that I can, still do everything and 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 still create such a, a wonderful project and um this year i am definitely kind of stepping back a little bit so that i can uh be a little bit more present with my friends and family because that's something that i've really given up mm -hmm. and um, they're very important to me so uh somehow i have to find that balance i think yeah. it's a challenge for everybody but i don't really look at it as giving things up in the past six years I really feel like it was a turn of events because of what happened in our community, in our world. And I am just so happy that there were so many people that took the same turn yeah. in, and, and, and there's so many people trying to create um, a little bit of light for people that 
are living in darkness. So I see it only as uh, uh, an opportunity that I, I'm very happy to be a part of. Yeah, I think it's perhaps Brene Brown who talks about sacrifices. And I think she's talking about in the context of parents for their children. But she says in that sacrifice, there's something sacred. And clearly what you've created here, um, this community, I feel like most things that happen in community and that, and that positive light are, are sacred. And you've also talked about gratitude, though, like you've saying now I'm asking about your sacrifices and you're essentially saying like it's a blessing what you've gotten to do. And on Instagram, you said, I still don't understand that in 2021, with all the resources we have, many people are on the streets and don't have enough to eat and drink. And you said this around Thanksgiving this year. So how has this work shaped your own sense of gratitude? I am just so thankful every day when I wake up. I have a passport. I have a job. Um, I have the ability to uh, educate myself, to make decisions that I want. Look at all of these women in Afghanistan now, um, you know, that they can't work. And so every day I, I try not to compare. I try just to be grateful for the opportunities that I have and try to open those opportunities for other people. Mm. You don't have to answer this one, but I'm just curious because you, you brought it up earlier. And then just now you mentioned talking to some single women in Afghanistan and women not working. Have you heard from speaking to these women that there has been more of a crackdown in the, on their freedoms since the summer? I haven't spoken directly with the women because I'm, I have a translator. Um, so, and I haven't been there myself. So I would probably not like to comment on that because I don't know how it's affected them. I do know that I am getting uh, many uh, requests for food um, and support. So mm. in that case, um, there is a big challenge in this country for sure. Mm. Okay. Do you, we've talked about some sacrifices that you've had to make. Um, and earlier you talked about it being, being serendipity that you sort of, and this is not the right word because it wasn't a stumbling, but stumbling into this work. Do you feel like you were chosen for this in this life? Absolutely. Mm. It's almost like the perfect job <laughs> because it has this, uh, the flair of being a flight attendant, yeah. traveling around the world to schools, to speak to children, to speak to communities uh, because I'm a flight attendant and I'm able to do that. I have lots of energy. I don't need much sleep <laughs> and it, it's just everything. And I love, I have a passion for traveling ever since I was uh, a, a small child. I don't know where that came from, but um, ever since I was a teenager, I used to call airlines and uh, book flights to Paris and London. <laughs> and so I think the whole um, puzzle came into being a one mm. piece and uh, I am so fortunate that I that I get to do everything still yeah. and, and make some really lovely connections around the world. I think people are um, people and situations are these small miracles in the world that happen every day that inspire us, that keep mm -hmm. us motivate us and that that yeah. bring joy to us and I sometimes get to live this every day, multiple times a day. So for that, I'm, I'm very grateful mm. because I have met the most beautiful people um, that invite me to their communities to speak to their schools. They put me up in their house. 
they give me the master bedroom and their mm. dog and <laughs> <laughs> they feed me so uh, I yes I'm I'm very lucky <laughs> I love that phrase small miracles and I'm thinking about the the writer Alice Walker and she talks about so many people will look around the world and feel like there's so many disasters like oh like what a horrible time in which to live uh, and what she sees instead are what's connecting each of these disasters is all the people trying to both prevent them and to in the in the wake of them to support the people who have gone through the disaster so she's trying to say I see those lights in in the darkness and I feel like that's that's what you are and that's what you do these small miracles and that the blessings that come when you connect with these people who see what you're who you are who your heart is and what you're bringing and then therefore offer you your their dogs and their master bedroom I, I, that's beautiful um I think I'm going to give you one or two more questions um in these moments of small miracles, or when you see, you talked about that artist before, how he's um, now on his own two feet and just really gotten to ex ex um, blossom in his life since going through all of this. What does it feel like to you when you have those moments? Is it, what does it feel like in your body or what does it feel generally when you have a small miracle happen? It's a relief. It's, it feels like success for me to see him shining to see him selling his art uh every time he makes a sale we celebrate mm. um with emojis and <laughs> um and what's really beautiful about the whole thing is that he's giving back um he will then um, do a one-on-one -on -one art workshop with a, a, a man that we just housed that doesn't have any money he has no no way to work so he goes over to his house and does a one-on-one -on -one workshop and spends that mm. hour with him because he see, speaks the same language. Mm. And I think that that's what we need in the world is yeah. um, all of these people that have gone through so much must bring more compassion. It, it, it must change the world eventually, I think, yeah. to bring more compassion in the world. And, um, and that those people, after they have gone through this very difficult and challenging time in their life, they will give back. And I think that's something we're going to see in the future. Mm, I yeah, I said two more, but now two more. And I mean it. <laughs> um, the, the first question is just how can people support your work? Um, what can they do to uplift it? So we have an Etsy shop in the United States. That's a really wonderful way because you're supporting a refugee directly. Um, we you can buy the calendars and the art directly from the Etsy shop and support uh, an artist. And uh, also you can sponsor a family. We've housed about uh, almost 10 singles and families in Greece and Athens, Greece. So you could donate a monthly donation to support a family and mm. either get them off the street or out of the refugee camp. Mm. I will make sure I have links to both of those things in the show notes so people can find them. My last question for you, I'm going to ask you to finish the sentence. And the sentence is, resilience is. Beautiful. Mm. <laughs> that was perfect, Kara. Oh, I, like I said, every time I get to talk to you or just watch your work from a distance, I am so moved by who you are and how you show up in the world. And um, I just, yeah, I feel like I get to walk away from conversations like this inspired and moved and it 
gives me hope. I feel like unless we have hope, we don't take action because we think our, our nothing can be, be changed. But you're one of those people who reminds me of the power that we have both individually and when we come together collectively. Um, so I feel like I've said this to you probably many times before, but thank you for being who you are and for joining me. Uh, that's very kind. Thank you for giving me the time to speak to you and your audience. And yes, it's... Um, it's just important that everybody knows that no matter how small your idea is or your action, if nobody sees it or if everyone sees it, mm. it's important that we're creating those one after the other every day. Mm, absolutely. I need to know everything. Who and the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, there's five and a horse, I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything. Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk. Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science, then let them in, talk up their body, another one body, that's just how it go. I got some secrets, I'm shaking the game so they stay on their toes, stay in your lane, I'll stay on the go. I can to play with the pros and act like a rookie, so they overlook me, then I double up again, none of their nose, none of them cold. They just got lucky, but never adapted, so I'm to the one if it's coming to blows, my enemies cutting it close. I let them think that they got me, but what do you know? I had them beat before we ever spoke, I'm ready for smoke. I need to know everything, who and the what and the where, I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse, I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything.